Putting the ain't in saint, you're listening to Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show. And now here's your host, Drew Marshall. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Oh, Tim, that's the way to my heart. That and butter tarts. James Taylor and butter tarts. That'll work for me. So both of them together, we just completely lose you. Oh, yeah, today. I'd be gone. If all you had to do is have some McManus red Syrah. What? Shiraz or Syrah? Like, is that, is that a different type Syrah of Syrah is what they call it in California. Oh, as, as yeah. opposed they to Shiraz. They have their own word for the grape. It's a different word. Anyway. It's California. They have their own words for everything. They do. They? Yeah. <laughs> they do. Um, all right. Listen, folks. Uh, it's time to uh, move on to our next guest. And... Uh, uh, she's uh, she's another one of these uh, Harper Collins authors, don't you uh-huh. know? We're giving away a copy of today's Harper Collins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but there's a catch: you have to be one of our Facebook followers, duh, and from Canada, and you have to include your address. So send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page, and you could win a copy of today's book from Harper Collins Canada. From the moment a woman wakes until she falls exhausted on her pillow. One question plagues her at every turn. What are Dutch ovens? <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> uh, I was reading this this bio and I thought, I, I've got so many questions for Michelle. And she's she may not be able to like me at the end of this interview. But she's probably hung up already. But the question that, that she's talking about here is, am I enough? Right. And what I didn't, it hit me right away. And this is to go show you what kind of a chauvinistic jerk I am. Really? Women sit around and go, am I enough? Hmm. As I look at you for re- reaffirmation of what I'm talking about? I, I, th- I think I know what that might mean, but then again, I'm a guy, so really I don't know. Well, then she says, after all, or the, the blurb here, not, not her, she says, the pressure to do more, be more, has never been more intense. Maybe our, our, our uh, social media interns could help me understand this. Online marketing, self-help books, movies, magazines, gym memberships, is this all ringing a bell for you girls? If you read later on, it'll start ringing a bell then. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So the girls just told me to keep reading. <laughs> Shut up and keep reading, Drew. Okay. <laughs> Even church attendance and social media streams have become a means of comparing ourselves to impossible standards. Am I pretty enough? Am I hip enough? Am I spiritual enough? We fear the answer is no. When a brutal bout with cancer changed how she looked, talked, and lived, Michelle embarked on a soul-deep journey. A soul-deep journey to rediscover herself. I wonder if she went on the Camino. Uh, the typical self-esteem strategies and positivity positivity plans were not enough. Instead, she needed a new foundation, uh, one that wouldn't uh, prove flimsy when faced with the onslaught of day-to-day life. So, this is Michelle. And Michelle, we've all been debating how to pronounce your last name. Is it Kushat? <laughs> It's Kashat. Uh, it's French. You guys are Canadian. There's French people up there. You should know this. I know. I put the wrong emphasis on the right syllable. 
Apparently, yes, apparently exactly. we don't even sell, say poutine right. No, we don't say poutine right either. It's poutine or poutine. Right, it's or, a sound effect. Yeah, who knows? Poutine. <laughs> no, I don't know. Between Shirah and uh, Kashat and all of this, yeah. I don't know. I just about hung up. But then you said butter tart, and I decided I'm going to hang on. <laughs> yeah, I had you at butter tart, did I? Okay. <laughs> you had me at butter tart. All right. I mean, so, it's all over at that point. So help me one more time. Michelle Kushat? Michelle Kushat. Michelle Kushat. Like Beautiful. the emphasis on hatch. Got it. Kushat. First of all, I watched your video on your website, and I got a couple things I need to say awkwardly at the start. You are beautiful, and I hope your husband hears that. You are just a stunning woman, and you have like 17 children. (laughs) Yeah, well, I have six, but they're very loud, and so it feels like 17, 18 at a minimum. Okay. And yeah, it's just lots and lots of kids, and thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Well, it's awkward as well. That's what I'd like to create uh, here on the radio. <laughs> well, as if we aren't already awkward. You didn't know how to spell my last name. Uh, or pronounce I know. My Stop last name. It's it. All good. Stop it. It's all good. <laughs> all right. So right away, because it's radio, I want to point out the obvious, and it's part of your story, right? So you front end load your story with, with your journey. So the cancer that, that really screwed with you um, affected your speech. Tell us how all that went down, please. Absolutely. About um, six years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. I was a 39-year-old mom and made my living as a speaker. So I was doing podcasts and radio and speaking all over the country. And one day I had an ulcer in my mouth that wouldn't go away on the side of my tongue. And the doctor informed me that it was cancer of the tongue, which is frankly not something I had ever heard of before. And so um, that's the initial diagnosis. They told me that it was small, they caught it early, and we never expected to see it again. Here we are six years later. I've had it three times, and the last time of which uh, required a nine-hour surgery where they removed two-thirds of my tongue. They also cut up my neck, my arm, my leg to do reconstruction. Uh, and for literally for about six months, I could not eat or drink or hardly talk at all whatsoever. I had to relearn how to do all of those things. So, uh, you know, for someone, that would be hard for anybody. You know, that would be a difficult thing for anyone. But for someone who made her living as a speaker Hmm. and for someone who has a lot of children, and so I kind of value this whole speaking thing, (laughs) it was was identity crushing. I mean, who am I if I can't do the things I've always done? Okay, I'm not supposed to have this long, awkward pause on radio, but that is just an enormous mountain to climb. And um, and I, uh, do you feel insecure uh, when when you go to new functions and people don't know you as the speaker lady with the with the cancer story in the book and stuff? You just go socially. You're hanging out and you're just and you're just talking. They don't know who you are. And do you feel yes. insecure and weird about your voice? Absolutely, all the time. I've had I've had people contact me or come up to me and ask me if my false teeth are not fitted correctly, and I really ought to go to the dentist and get those adjusted. Uh, wow! <laughs> I had one gentleman who came to hear me speak at an event, and he was very nice. He stood in line after I spoke and waited a long time. Came to the front of the line, and he wanted to apologize to me because he said the moment I opened my mouth. He rolled his eyes and almost left because the last thing he wanted to do was listen to a woman talk with a lisp. So, I mean, it happens every time I go to the grocery store and I check out, people hear how I talk. Or if I try to eat a meal in a restaurant, uh, eating is very difficult for me. 
And so to sit there and eat in public where, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have things spill out of my mouth or to, you know, have to excuse myself or need to nap and all of that. So basically it's like eating with a toddler, but I'm 45 years old. So all of that creates quite an interesting scenario. Um, I, if you would have asked me, you know, six years ago, if I based my sense of value on my appearance or um, how I ate a meal or how I talked, I would have said absolutely no, not at all. You know, it's one thing to say that from a distance. It's another thing to live in the reality of a body that doesn't work out in the world, in the public, and uh, and wrestle with that insecurity every single day. Yeah, I'm a tough girl, but that's that's hard. Yeah. The, the truth is that the world does look at us differently if we're different. People do treat us differently if we aren't exactly like them. And so how do we... How do we walk through that day by day with a secure sense of who we are, knowing that we're going to have people asking us about our false teeth? <laughs> man, 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 man. Okay. I, again, I'm not going to word this right. So here goes. But, you know, it's kind of a shtick now. It, you know, you're making a living off of being that girl and that woman. And, oh, isn't it? Then you can look back on it and go, yay, God, thanks for thanks for letting me, not healing me and letting me have this. And you've turned lemon into lemonades or whatever it is, the other way around. Um, I don't know. What, do you know what I mean? Like, people come out with these yeah. lines, and I just want to know if you think this is this is true. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting, uh, you know, because there, uh, there is a reality that this is what I'm talking about. So in, in some sense, I've become the um, interesting circus show that people come to see. But it's not a stick when I make a birthday cake for my son and I can't taste it. You know, it doesn't matter how many speaking engagements I have when I can't enjoy normal everyday experiences with my family like everybody else does. So, you know, sure, somebody can book me to speak, but don't think for a second that that changes the grief and reality of what I live out every day. I mean, that's like looking at somebody who will be in a wheelchair for the rest of their lives and say, hey, but you're making a good living at it. <laughs> you know, who would that say they, that? Oh, man. I mean, who would say that? Yeah. But, you know, they, they have to live knowing that never again for the rest of their life will they walk, barring some kind of divine intervention. So, uh, so yeah, there's a sense where um, this has become a part of my story, but it's become a part of my story because it's a daily suffering that I am walking through regularly. And so, and the tie-in is all of us have something like that. It's just some of us carry it more obviously sure, than sure. others. What does it feel like after, after a speaking gig when someone comes up to you and it's obvious by either the way they uh, have been impacted physically or after they share their journey with you, it becomes obvious that their journey is way worser than your journey. And that's a real word, by the way. Um, yeah. And so, you know, here you are, this lady who's talking about this this curveball that life, life has thrown you, but someone else comes up and their curveball is like way worser, way worser. What does that feel mm -hmm. like for you? Well, you know, that can be hard on both ends of the spectrum. People who come up to me and share their struggle, but they think it's not as bad as mine. And so they, you know, they do self-deprecation and they minimize their own pain. Or the flip side, where somebody comes up to me and I met a woman who's become a friend who came up to me at an event and she's in a wheelchair because she was born without legs. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like a big fool for standing up talking about my suffering when she knows a level of pain that I don't know. And, um, ultimately, what we all have to understand is hard is hard. 
Yeah. I mean, hard is hard. None of us can legislate which level of hard Trump somebody else is. When we're in the middle of pain, all we feel is pain. It doesn't matter the source of it. We feel we feel pain. And so part of of learning to live in community and relationship with a bigger world is having some empathy for the fact that pain is pain and hard is hard. And uh, there's no uh, lesser, uh, there's no... Um, Somebody doesn't have to grieve less because we think that their pain is less than ours and vice versa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Okay, I want to dive into... the stinking thinking part of your book and and how to how to kind of tackle the negative thought stuff because i just walked the camino uh de santiago i just walked a thousand kilometers i did three months in a vow of silence and when you're in a vow of silence for three months you become very aware of how loud your thinking is and you become well i became very aware of of how negative my thoughts were and so i really i kind of really want to talk about that um in just a second uh we are on the phone with michelle Cushat. did i say it right pretty close Cushat. Oh. i said that Cushat, didn't I? like hat like hat put on your hat or if you're french uh, a cool cat a Cushat. Oh, man. Okay, she's the author of I Am, A 60-Day Journey to Knowing Who You Are Because of Who He Is. And, of course, the website that you may want to go to is iambook.net, iambook.net. She has her own, but I can't even figure out how to say her name, so maybe you can't figure out how to spell it. Michelle Cushat. <laughs> Dot com, but iambook.net will get you right there. Michelle, okay, can you please help me not think so negatively? Ready, go. <laughs> Oh, oh, well, that's just an easy thing to do. Just stop it. Just stop. stop. That's a Bob Newhart routine. I've seen that. It is. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) All right, help me. I need some help. Seriously, what do I do? You know, this is so tough because the reality is is that uh, there's these constant messages coming at us about how to gauge our words. I mean, we know this. We watch TV and every... Every, like, seven minutes there's a commercial on the TV telling us something that we lack that we need to buy. I mean, it's everything from, you know, some kind of medicine to some kind of moisturizer to some kind of food, whatever it is. So we're constantly, constantly bombarded with messages of what we don't have and what we need. And so that starts to play with our minds. You know, well, I would be okay if only this, or I would be good if only this. And so, you know, we're going to have to start pushing against that. I mean, if we're just going to blindly and passively sit back and take in all of that information every day, then it's just, I mean, it's just a a given that we'll slowly start to buy into it. And so what are we doing to push back against that? And so some of that involves, you know, taking into control what we think, what we hear, and what we say. Uh, You know, literally catching ourselves when we start to go down the rabbit trail of, oh, my goodness, I just screamed at my kids. I'm such a failure. I'm a terrible parent. I don't deserve to have children, whatever. Mm. You know, stopping that and saying, okay, I blew it, but I can fix it. You know, it's literally stopping that thought process. But it's not just what we think. It's how we talk. I mean, how many times do we self-criticize, even if we're doing it joking, but if we're going to continue to do that, you know, it starts to take root. And then what we hear, what are we choosing to listen to? And being, you know, staying on top of that. And from my my vantage point, uh, for me, this all comes back to my faith. I mean, literally, it has to come back there. The way... The way I describe it is, uh, my husband's a contractor. He's a general contractor. He does construction. And he would tell you that if you're going to build either a house or a deck or whatever, 
the most important thing is what you have to do first, and that means you have to put in uh, good footings. Foundation. And foot- yeah. yeah. Yeah, foundation, good footings. And the secret of good footings is it has to be bigger than the structure it supports. The secret of good footings is having a foundation that's bigger than the structure it supports. The problem with us as humans, though, I believe, or what I've come to discover about myself, is that I put my footings in myself, my ability, my talents, uh, my appearance, my roles, my relationships, my career. So I put my sense of security in all of those things. Basically, I, I basically built my foundation on myself. That's not big enough footings. We need to have something that's larger than ourselves. And from a faith standpoint, truly, that goes back to what we believe about God and our existence and eternity and all of that. We have to be willing to go to something bigger than ourselves. Okay, um, I just want to, I've got another question here, but I want to remind our listeners, we're giving away a copy of today's HarperCollins Canada book to one of our Facebook followers, but there's a catch, you've got to be one of our Facebook followers, and... Uh, be from Canada, and include your address. So send us a private message on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page so you could win a copy of today's book from HarperCollins Canada. I remember a long time ago, Michelle, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Neil Anderson, yeah. um, minister, fight the devil and bad lies in your head guy. That's a great description. Yeah, back description. in the 80s. Yes. Yeah, back in the Early 80s. 80s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, but the one takeaway that I got from all of that after so many years ago was it's important to identify the lies you believe about yourself and then shatter those lies with truth. Yes. And the best way to shatter the lies that you believe about yourself is with the truth that God says. Because you can just invent Oprah truth or, or, yeah. or um, who's the Anthony Robbins truth. Or fortune cookie mm-hmm. truth, or star sign truth, or uh, you know, I I did this personality test, and that's got to be the new truth. Trust me, I've done a lot of these things, mm-hmm. but there's something really lasting and enduring about the red words truth. I'm not a hundred percent of all the impact of the entire scripture on my life, but man, those red words have rocked my world. Do you know what yeah, I mean when I talk about the red right. letters? Yep, absolutely. What, precisely what Jesus said himself, and that's what. Literally, that's been my journey for the last couple of years because I've, you know, I've been a church-going girl my whole entire life. But when you are laying on the couch and you're not sure if you're going to live, and you're in excruciating pain for months—I mean, we're talking months, not just a day, months—all um, of a sudden, the nice little Oprah memes don't really cut it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's nice stuff and it makes you feel good if you're having a bad day. But when you aren't sure if you're going to live or you're going to die, you need more than just a meme. Yeah. You need more than just a cliche. And so for me, I had to I had to sit there and wrestle with, do I really believe what I say I believe? And it was a very long couple-year journey of me pushing against uh, the faith that I had blindly believed in and really trying to see if I, I really thought it was true. And where I found truth was red letters. In the red letters, I'm like, don't give me anything else. I want to know exactly what Jesus said. Um, what has been the relationship like with your husband as a result of all this cancer stuff? It must have had some impact on you guys. Oh, without a doubt, on our whole entire family. Uh, yes, I mean, you may not know this, but out of our six kids, three of them we adopted into our family uh, about five and a half years ago. They came from a, a trauma background, and they had a different mom who was an addict, and so uh, we took them in our house after the first cancer diagnosis. So you have kids that have already come from trauma, from a place of suffering. 
Then you have my husband and I and our older three boys who are now going through a very real life and death scenario. And so imagine you take people who have already been going through some struggles and difficulty and then you throw this level of trauma and suffering for an extended period of time on top of the family. And uh, it literally caused all of us to some extent to become a little bit unhinged because uh, we had to figure out where our foundation was. We had to figure out what ground we're going to stand on. I got to, uh, I just want to, can I talk about me just for a second? Do you mind? <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a rare... I don't think I have a choice. No, you don't. You don't yeah. really have a choice. No, no. I'm just reading something here that is in your promotional stuff, and it's just, you know, you're a lady who's going to help people stop agonizing over past regrets and failures and make peace with God's sovereign plan for your life. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I was ambushed the most with when I was out on the Camino. Because... Okay, explain. Yeah, give me some background to that. Well, I can't give you too much background, because... It's nasty, um, but I, I, I think what I can say is the reason I've been able to maintain some semblance of happiness, and happiness was a cheap word for me. Michelle, I was about peace. Happiness, whatever, it's going to last a day, a week, maybe even a month, mm-hmm. but it, it fleets away depending on, on, on situations. But I've, I've been on this little happy kick lately. Don't tell anybody. Um, but I, it's because I think, I think I'm actually for the first time now that I just turned 50, am letting go of some past regrets. And I wrote my, mm-hmm. my, my mom died the same night my son was born 28 years ago. And I wrote her a letter when I was in a town, uh, that has the same name as her in Spain, Leon. And I sobbed over this because I just had nothing but regret, nothing but regret when it came to my mom. She died mm-hmm. before she could see me getting any uh, of my life together. Not that I have my life together, but you know what I mean? And, and I put mm-hmm. her through hell. Put her through hell. So stop agonizing over past regrets and failures and make peace with God's sovereign plan for your life. Help me understand the second part of that. So I, I, oh, I, I'm trying to get man. over past regrets and failures. Okay. But how does that coincide with making peace with God's sovereign plan for my life? You got it. Well, part of this whole identity journey is to come to terms with both the good and the bad about ourselves. And this is where I feel like what the world offers through self-help books and and self-help strategies and and calling our best selves out and everything falls short, because it's focused on purely talking about how great we are, that we just simply need to talk about how wonderful and fantastic we are and we'll feel better. Well, you know, I think that's a, a load of bull, because I know firsthand what I'm capable of. I have all of these regrets and these mistakes I've made and things in my past that I can't go back and change and fix. Uh, but that's kind of the beauty of uh, what I say is the gospel. I mean, what is all wrapped up in, in the Bible and why Jesus came. Uh, he didn't come because we had gotten our act together and we did a good job of fixing everything and resolving everything and calling our best selves out. He came and decided to do life with us because we were such a mess. And in spite of us being these people with so many regrets and flaws, he said, I love you anyway. I'm choosing to do life with you. I want to be with you, and I'm going to make a way for that to happen. And so, you know, this whole book, this writing, this I Am journey, includes both the good and the bad. Like, I have chapters in there that talk about I am I am saved, I am loved, I am wanted, but there's just as many chapters saying, I am proud, I'm washed, I'm, I'm needy. And when we start to see that 
it's both of those things together uh, that God came to save. It's all of that. It's all of those different pieces. Then all of a sudden, uh, I don't have to be so wrapped up in, in trying to fix myself up and resolve everything that I did wrong, because it's not going to happen anyway. I can't go back in time. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, God's sovereignty becomes this big, huge blanket of relief over the top of me, where I'm like, oh, I don't have to kill myself trying to be everything anymore. I don't have to sit there and worry about all these mistakes I make, because God saved it all. Let me just tell you that while you were talking, I was listening, but I also noticed that we've got a number of people who are uh, writing in and asking for your book. So you must be getting through there, Michelle. Good job. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. I ultimately feel like even though... Uh, my story is different than theirs. This is something we all need. Yeah. I mean, we just all need it. Um, oh, I'm going to try it again. I love the stumbling over the name thing because it makes everyone remember her name. It's a marketing thing. That's what it is. It's a marketing <laughs> ploy. Okay, remember. Your stick. Michelle Cachat. There you go. You didn't even know I said it right. You, I know you did because remember, cool cat, uh, but in right, French, right. couchette. Um, she's the author of, just ignore him, please, Michelle. She's the author of I Am, A 60-Day Journey to Knowing Who You Are Because of Who He Is. And the website, the easiest to remember, is IamBook.net. IamBook.net. My family says, we are Marshall. Huh? Remember that movie? Oh, it's an awesome yeah. movie. Anyway, Michelle, you have been a treat to speak with. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so, so Likewise. much. Likewise. I've so enjoyed this, all the way from the Buddhist heart to Kushat at the end. Yeah. It was just fabulous. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> beautiful stuff. Thank you, Michelle. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. There you go, folks. That is the end of our HarperCollins uh, segment. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking like that. Yeah, well, you know, when the ancient Phoenicians <laughs> used to read books, so this HarperCollins thing is a good idea. Uh, we'll be right back. How do you live the marriage you want every single day? How do you turn a disappointing marriage into a delightful one? We promise to love, honor, and cherish one another, but what does that really look like? Best-selling author Gary Thomas is back with a new book, Cherish, showing readers how to put love into action and how understanding and embracing the concept of cherish will be a game-changer in your relationship. Practical and profound, let Cherish transform your marriage. Available where books are sold. 